This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SPOILER4. This is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with a spoiler special on 42, the new biopic of the baseball player Jackie Robinson. And joining me in the Slate studio is Tanner Colby. Hey, Tanner. Hey, Dana. How's it going? Pretty well. Will you identify yourself for us? Uh, My name is Tanner Colby, and I'm the author of Some of My Best Friends Are Black, The Strange Story of Integration in America, due out in paperback this summer. And... Uh, that's why I'm here to you, with you today talking about integration in baseball. Yeah, you requested to come see this movie. With I me did. I did. I really wanted to see it, and I was interested in commenting on it. And now, and more because of the history of race relations than because of baseball. You're not a big baseball. Yeah, guy. I'm not uh, so much of a baseball guy. More about uh, I. I actually studied a lot about Robinson in his later years uh, and the role he played in in racial politics in the 1970s. And you uh, wrote about we'll him a bit. Later. No? Yeah, I wrote. He's he's in, involved in the book a little bit. Um, and so I was interesting, interested to see in how cartoonishly they portrayed uh, this sort of uh, fight to overcome in baseball uh, in the early years. And as it turned out, it was quite cartoonish. Indeed. Pretty cartoonish, yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the trailers already make this look like a sappy, inspirational sports movie. You know that it's not going to be anything really raw and edgy. But mm-hmm. I was surprised the degree to which I just I thought it was really, really sanitized. I mean, we usually start these spoilers off with just some general thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. I would say for me, this movie was a pretty decisive thumbs down in spite of some some good performances and some, some little moments here and there. Yeah, I'd give it a pretty uh, solid thumbs down too, despite this being a subject matter that I was really interested in to see because it was just uh, as I described to my wife this morning over breakfast it's like someone took the racial politics of the help and combined it with the baseball of a league of their own and put it on top of Mississippi burning mm-hmm. and put it out and so it was it was just it was a, a cartoon white versions a white person's version of what they wanted this story to be well, we should say the director and the writer is Brian Helgeland, who's more known as a screenwriter than mm-hmm. as a director. And what else has he done? Uh, didn't he do L.A. Confidential? I think he wrote the script for L.A. Confidential. He wrote the script for L.A. Confidential. And he directed A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger and wrote it as well. Right, which was also odd. Payback, the Mel Gibson movie, I think, is written and directed by him. So, yeah, right. he's got a very mixed grab bag. I don't know what it was that drew him to this to this project. Right, or what made him necessarily qualified to do this project. Um, I don't know. But he didn't. He just sort of took the highlight. It's a highlight reel of the best and worst moments. And the thing to me, and the most highlight realist thing of it, and we talked about it a little on the way out, was the music. The score to this was the most absurd thing I've ever heard in, in any movie I've ever seen. You mean because of the degree of, of emotional cueing? From yeah, the it was cues? just like any time, like if, if Jackie Robinson was on the sidewalk and this happened to him in like a small Florida town while he was uh, in spring training and like, a white guy just some you know redneck southern guy just walks up to him and looks at him and there's just this ominous like, chords it, it's almost like the soundtrack to jaws like dun 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 <laughs> like you know like whoa what's going to happen was a white guy talking to a black guy in florida in 1947 oh my god and then of course the white guy just says hey you know do a great job we like you or something like that and then anytime jackie does anything like remotely triumphant like to me the the corniest was for the whole movie, or for most of the movie, he won't shower with his white teammates because he doesn't want the discomfort of that situation. He doesn't want to make them uncomfortable. He doesn't want to be uncomfortable. So for the whole of the movie, he's waiting to shower until after his teammates are done. And then finally, 
you know, one of his teammates in this really sort of weird moment because they're doing this this whole thing about promoting racial tolerance, but it's like, hey, well, let's just make some jokes out of homophobia while we're at it, where there's this awkward moment of it's like, hey, come shower with us. Um, and they, I thought that moment was kind of funny just it, because Ralph Branca, who plays right. the, the teammate who tries to get him to shower with him, mm-hmm. was, was great in a tiny yeah. role. No, he he was. It was funny. and But then, like, when Jackie Ross, it's like just a, a black dude walking into a group shower with a bunch of white dudes. And it was like the theme from Chariots of Fire was playing like, like it was this triumphant moment. <laughs> the triumph he, of showering. Yeah, well, and, during this, during the, the games, any kind of baseball scene, also the music was just, it, it essentially was spoiler music because it would telegraph what was coming. If he came up to bat and you heard, you know, some sort of ominous, suspenseful music, then you knew he's going to strike out or get hit by a pitch or whatever, right? right? And then if he was going to get a good hit or hit a home run, as he does at a couple points, Right. The soaring just completely clues you in. So, yeah. you know, the, the suspense is gone. Yeah. And that made it very help-like in that, like, the evil white people were very evil and the noble white people were very noble. Well, let's and talk about, okay, let's let's talk about the racial sort of representation in this movie. I mean, that, mm-hmm. for one thing, is this movie is obsessed with that. It's, it gets boring. It's, it's as if, as I said on our way out, every single thing that happened on the Brooklyn Dodgers team between 1945 and 1947 was a conversation about Jackie Robinson and integration. Scene right. after scene after scene after scene. So there's not any sense of, like... Do they ever strategize about baseball? Right. Did Jackie Robinson and his wife ever talk about their kid or something else in life? Right. Yeah. It was, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, just trying to put everyone into an archetypal role um, without giving them any backstory. I was thinking about it and we were talking about Christopher Maloney in a moment, but like, you know, Christopher Maloney had the whole backstory of having the affair and being a womanizer. So that, Christopher Maloney playing Leo DeRocher, yeah, the, the Leo manager DeRoche, of the Dodgers. The manager of the Dodgers. Um, and I realized after I saw he's the only one with a backstory because they had to give him a backstory to explain why he was removed from the team halfway through the movie. Other than that, no one in the movie has any kind of story to them. They just sort of show up and play angry white person or sympathetic white person. That's or, particularly true of Wendell Smith, the black sports writer who's played by Andre Holland. He's really this weird sort of helpmate who just materializes to drive Jackie Robinson and his wife places when they need it and to be the sounding board for their, you know, their, right. their being upset about, about the, the heckling. Mm-hmm. And... He has no backstory whatsoever. He's just a guy with a typewriter on his knees that appears anywhere. Does he have a wife? Does he have a family? Where does he live? How does he just sort of follow them around all the time? Yeah, what's his motivation for doing any of this? And he also provides the sort of like... The framing voiceover. The framing voiceover and sort of this neat like two-minute exposition that gives the entire history of American racial relations in like, you know... Uh, a couple of minutes at the beginning of the film. I thought, uh, I mean, given the fact that this is supposed to be a movie about giving black people voices, that that guy was, was one of the worst kind of narrative crutches in it. It was just really clear that he was thrown in there when we needed some exposition or some somebody to bounce dialogue off of. Right. And it's also true that I think that the writer, I mean, the, the writer-director had really no idea of how to write scenes for black actors, you know, unto themselves like the 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 scenes between black and forth back and forth between the black and white characters were very formulaic and pat uh but at least you know that's sort of something we recognize but when it goes into the internal life of jackie and his wife or jackie and uh his his uh, his handler like it would just seem very very weird to me well i think a part of that is because it's a very sanitized and wholesome view of race relations and and part mm-hmm. of that obviously is whitewashing essentially right. whitewashing the black people right? right so so jackie robinson and his wife played by chadwick boseman and nicole bihari are just essentially these kind of blameless uninteresting characters who as i said never seem to talk about anything except inspiring right. one another right 
you know, there's none of the, you know, there's a great uh, scene. Baratunde Thurston has a book that came out last year called uh, uh, How to Be Black. Right. And there's a great scene talking about when black coworkers end up alone in the break room without any white people there. They talk amongst themselves and they say, man, man we, should, we should take all these white people's shit and burn it. You know, and just like, you know, uh, you know, just vent to themselves quite, you know, uh, when they have that space. And there's none of that. When when black people are alone, they continue to be blameless and inspirational and, you know, uh, heroic, which was kind of dehumanizing in a way. Like the whole movie, they kept calling uh, they kept calling, calling him a hero. And, you know, the Branch Rickey said, you know, because of his batting average or whatever, it's like he's superhuman. And the, then the manager a couple of games later is like, hmm, maybe he is superhuman. Like what a dehumanizing thing to say, you know, and putting that iconic – Magic Negro label on him, you know, it to- does total disservice to who he was as a human and being. And it really does a disservice to Chadwick Boseman as an actor, too, who I thought was, I mean, he was not particularly memorable as Jackie Robinson because it was not written as a memorable character. No, all, all he had to do was, like, stand there with his hands on his hips and, and, and be noble. And, like, I think one of the best things that's been written about this movie so far was the New York Times this weekend they, where they had a smattering of quotes from this movie and from the new Superhan- Superman movie coming out this summer and see you know see if you can see which one uh, movie the line comes from and you can't tell half the time whether they're talking about Jackie Robinson or Superman because it's just this completely ridiculous cartoonish dialogue what about the relationship between Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey, the, I guess, owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers? I'm not enough of a sports person to know what right. you would call Harrison Ford's character, the, 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 the CEO of the, the team, yeah, who is no. the one who decides that he's going to hire a black player after World War II and, you know, integrate baseball for the first time, creating furor throughout the country. That was the one part of the movie that sort of worked. You know, I felt like, you know, Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey. And he's sitting up in his office delivering all the sort of corn-pone wisdom about, you know, race relations and life and baseball. And, he's like and, Wilfred Brimley, right? And he's yeah. even made up to look like him with big, giant, bushy eyebrows glued over his real eyebrows. Yeah, and he really hams it up. And at the beginning, you're like, wow, this is really sort of off-putting. But, then but he wins you over slowly. He does. He does. He won me over, and I liked him. And I got used to sort of, all right, we have this curmudgeonly Han Solo integrating baseball and I just went with that and bought it mainly I think maybe because I was looking for something in the movie to enjoy yeah well, another thing that we both enjoyed I think a lot and it was too small a part of the movie was Christopher Maloney as Leo Durocher as the manager who gets fired for his, his extramarital doings right. and uh, for some reason I don't know why but his performance really stuck out as the funniest he got the best lines and there were some of the, some, some scenes of him inspiring quote unquote the team right. especially the moment when all the white players and like this actually happened which is incredible got up a petition mm-hmm. trying not all the white players but the majority of the white players on the team got of a petition trying to get Jackie Robinson kicked off the team. And right. the talking to that he gives them in that in that kitchen when it's he hilarious. gets them all up in the middle of the night is it's hilarious and it actually is a moment of sort of that's that's somewhat inspiring. Yeah, and I think, you know, Maloney's like one of the few who who showed up to play. I think interesting side note backstory that has nothing to do with this movie. This was uh Maloney's first movie role back after, you know, nineteen years on SVU playing the same character. So I think he was really like Raring at the bit to go. SVU has been on for 19 years. No, not 19 years, but it's like 11 or 12 or something like that. Um, and so he was really, he you know jumped on the role and really sort of did something with it. And like I said, they had to give him a backstory in order to explain why he was removed from the, the team halfway through. And so, you know, he had something to chew on. Right. At least he was a womanizer. He had yeah. some sort of dark side. Yeah. He had something to, to, to go with. Um, 
What and about the sports scenes? I actually thought they were pretty well filmed in this movie, I have to say. I mean, I'm not a big sports person. I'm not a big sports movie person. But if I like any sport, I like baseball because right. it sort of has it has fun history and great names like Pee Wee Reese, who's a character mm-hmm. in this movie. And it moves sort of slowly enough that you can see what's happening on film. Right. No, I thought the sports scenes were well filmed. And I thought uh, whatever digital wizardry was done to create the old ballparks was Oh, yeah. Well- Ebbets Field. Digital Ebbets Field. Looking uh, yeah, good. and all the other fields, too, was, you know, it was pretty seamless. I couldn't, you know see any any of the uh digital garbage that you see with a lot of it uh so i thought that was well done and and the baseball was well done but again you know it was rolled out at you know hokey moments to deliver inspirational points as opposed to like being more about the game and also the other thing i thought about weirdly was that the whole movie is hermetically sealed within the stadium almost nowhere in where do we see america's reaction to this we never do you well, in the stands, right? I mean, that's supposed to stand in for for the whole country. How else would you would you see it? Well, I just I just think you know I w- would have wanted to see a little bit more of America, you know, as as this whole thing is going on. Um, y- I mean, yeah, you have people in the stands, but you know, I felt like it could have stepped back and taken a wider lens, at least at a, at a few points, and it rarely did that. Yeah, let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get back to the Jackie Robinson conversation. The Spoiler Special is delighted to be brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 20 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SLATE4. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's a website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or any type of project. Shutterstock sources images from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. Shutterstock adds 10,000 images every day, so every time you visit, you'll find something new. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account, no credit card needed. Just start an account and begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code SLATE4 and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com and for 30% off new accounts, use the offer code SLATE4. The spoiler special thanks Shutterstock for their support. Okay, Tanner, back to Jackie Robinson. So I think we should pull back the camera a little bit from the the narrow focus on Jackie Robinson and and the biopic and talk about this style of showing race relations in film. Um, I just read this morning coming over the wires that the Obamas showed 42 in a special White House screening that had a QA and a and the press was invited. And so, you know, this was being held up as sort of um, a, a monument, you know, like the Pee Wee Reese Jackie Robinson statue that is, is right. referenced in, in this movie, the moment that they stood together famously on the ball field. So the Obamas want to hold this up as sort of, you know, a shining example of, of race relations in the country. And to me, that seems like it's, it's, a, it's, it's they should set their sights higher. You know, they, right. could, they could find a better movie to show that would start better conversations. But I don't know that they could except for maybe Do the Right Thing, which is the movie they met on a date actually to go see Do the Right Thing, but you can't show Do the Right Thing at the White House because it makes nervous white people nervous. Speaking of dicey movies to show at the White House, the same item that said that the Obamas were going to show 42 or had shown 42 said that the first movie ever screened at the White House by Woodrow Wilson, I believe, was Birth of a Nation. There you go. There you go. I think, and this goes back to some of the the piece I wrote for Slate last year, uh, right around the time my book came out, which is that movies about race ultimately fail, often fail, because movies in, in general require protagonists, good guys and bad guys and resolutions. And, you know, that's great for Star Wars, and that's great for, you know, regular sports movies um, like, you know, The Rookie or Bull Durham or or what have you. Uh, But race is far, far, far more ambiguous than that. It doesn't – it's not a subject that lends itself really to good guys and bad guys because Jackie Robinson was more than just 
a noble saint struggling to overcome. He was a complicated person who dealt with this in many, many difficult ways. And also someone like Branch Rickey, yeah, he was noble in that he wanted to do this and had the right intentions, but he also was someone who was maybe slightly condescendingly racist in, in certain ways or someone who was really in it for the money. I mean, people people's motivations for dealing with race are very, very complicated, and that's why something like The Wire is incredibly successful at portraying it and at making us uncomfortable by showing the reality of it. Um, but anytime you try and reduce racism to good guys and bad guys, you've you've already misportrayed it. Yeah, I mean, as, as we were saying, walking out is the message ends up being sort of racism is bad, you know, which I think, right. I think ultimately doesn't just leave black white relations in the same place in the country. It actually sets them back. Right. And so you have a movie like Do the Right Thing, which hits on the ambiguity of it for someone like the the Spike Lee character in that movie. Do you follow Malcolm's path of, of resistance and violence at any, um, you know, by any means necessary? Or do you follow Martin Luther King's path of, of in nonviolent integration, you know, and it sort of leaves that as an open question of what's the right thing to do, um, which is why that's really one of the few f- films that's dealt with race relations in a good way uh, in American history. When any time you try and make a Hollywood film about race, it ends up being the help. Yeah, I think for you and I both, one of the sort of the key moment that encapsulized, you know, just the the lack of sophistication in the racial discourse in this movie was when this young kid at the beginning, a young African-American kid um, who's a huge fan of Jackie Robinson, what does he do? He catches his ball in the stands, I guess, right? During spring training? Well, no, he, he throws the ball from the train later, but he's just on his way in and he sees, you know, he's watching Jackie Robinson on the field and he's with his mom and he closes his eyes and he's like, please, God, let Jackie show them what we can do. Like the royal we, like, you know, of, you know, of all African-Americans. Um, I mean, in addition to just being an incredibly obvious and unnecessary piece of dialogue, like just right. the kid's face looking passionately out at Jackie Robinson would say that same message without us needing to hear it. Right. But you're right that it's it's the we that is just, mm-hmm. just to me, gave me just a sinking feeling in my chest. Yeah, and there was, there was a mirror moment to that later on with a white kid in the stands. Uh, at I think one of the, maybe one of the Pittsburgh games. No, it was in the Cincinnati game where Pee Wee Reese gave him the hug. Where uh, this white father and his son are like sharing a great day at the ballpark, talking about how they're gonna, you know, the game's gonna be so much fun. And then when Jackie Robinson comes out on the field, the dad sort of like, you know, turns into this evil racist and, and just, like yelling the yeah, N word. Just and starts stuff. yelling the N word at, at Jackie Robinson, and then they 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 close up on the little kid and it's like they gave him like the most obvious direction in the world you can just see the wheels turning in this little kid's brain and and he looks up at his dad and and he starts yelling the n-word too because he's learning racism from his dad and those two moments together were just sort of like so obvious you know um and moments like that just make your stomach turn if we could do a little sidebar on the, the later life of Jackie Robinson, you had some things to say about that last night that I was interested in because this movie is very, very focused. It essentially shows um, everything from, I guess it was maybe uh, 1946, right after the war, from the moment mm-hmm. when Branch Rickey first you know, considers recruiting a black man for the first time through – not even through the first World Series they play, up until they win right. the pennant for they the first the time. And then I assume they lost that World Series, so the movie doesn't want to end on that note. Although later right. on, the Dodgers would win the World Series with Robinson. Right. No, what I, I felt like – It's always a bad biopic uh, uh, convention where you have the young actor dressed up in the old man makeup looking back on his life, like the J. Edgar Hoover problem. Right, especially if you get the makeup man from J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, especially if you get the makeup man from J. Edgar Hoover. So while that is a convention that should be avoided, I felt like this movie suffered from not having something like that because the real story of Jackie Robinson is 
the cumulative effect of what this did to him over his life. You know, in terms of the impact it had on the nation, yeah, you you want to focus on that that moment. But if you want to talk about what integration did and how this affected Jackie Robinson, you really have to look at him later in life because he was greatly embittered by this process. He was not, you know, he didn't, his, his own biography, he said it, the title of his autobiography was I Never Had It Made. Um, that even for all the adulation and the fame and the success and the, you know, iconic legend status, he never really felt accepted. Um, he died like at 53, I think, very early 50s of, I believe, a heart attack just from, you know, the stress and, and, and the wear and tear of, of having been through this. Did he and have addiction problems or anything No, like I that? think I think it was just like, you know, the weight of having lived that life and that pressure just, you know, took years off his life. And, um, you know, there's an interesting study that was done, I think it was a poll done by Ebony Magazine in the early 1970s, which showed that the more education, the more success um, – and the more exposure a black person had to white America and to the sort of upper middle class reaches, the more likely they were to support sort of black self-sufficiency and black nationalism. Um, and when you think about it, if you were a working class black person still sort of hoping for a break and having not had that much interaction with white America, you might still believe that, oh, well, this integration thing could work and open up opportunities for my kids. So I want to get my kid. Right. But if you've risen to the top of your profession and still don't feel accepted. Yeah. If you've risen to the top of your profession and still don't feel accepted. And if you've encountered firsthand, you know, on a day to day basis, not just the angry, you know, uh, the anger of white people yelling racial epithets at you, but sort of like the daily, you know, disrespect of white people not getting you, not trying to understand you. And if you've wrestled with that all day long, and also if you've been successful, you're more likely to say, well, screw them. I don't need white people. I can do it myself. And so there was this whole strain of not radical black militant nationalism, but just sort of you know, black self-sufficiency, you know, black-owned businesses, taking care of the black community. And that and, became what Jackie Robinson invested, his kind of charitable time and money? And in. that became sort of his his calling card in his later years. Um, he became a big spokesman for black-owned businesses and black self-sufficiency and, and you know, and that, that was the reaction of a lot of the first blacks across the color line. It was so horrible that they said, okay, you know what? We've taken care of ourselves for hundreds of years. Right. We'll build our own world. Just give us our money and we'll keep taking care of ourselves. Um, And unfortunately, that was not really a viable thing because what made the Negro Leagues viable and what made black-owned communities viable was the fact that sort of a trade embargo that they were excluded from white America. As soon as as black people could shop at Walmart, black-owned businesses were going to die because there's cheaper goods and services at Walmart because of economies of scale. And so once you open the door for capital and talent to leave the black community, you can't keep it bottled up there, Um, which is why turning to black-owned businesses and self-sufficiency as a response to integration was kind of a a bad idea uh, and sort of like a false promise. And the the horrible part of it was that Richard Nixon, who was put in all these minority set-asides and incentives in place for black-owned businesses, did it as a response to seeing black nationalists, you know, rise up against integration and not want to integrate. And the Republicans said, all right, well, if blacks don't want to integrate, that's fine with us. Here's a couple hundred million dollars to go away. Um, And that was really the incentive behind those programs. Wait, and how did Jackie Robinson fit into that Richard Nixon initiative? Well, Nixon Nixon saw this, this, you know, groundswell for black-owned businesses and black self-sufficiency coming out as a backlash to integration. And so Nixon said, and his advisor said, all right, well, 
give them a couple hundred million dollars and let them have their mom and pop stores and they can stay out of our business. It was not a program designed to really uplift blacks and give them equality. It was a program designed to make black people go away. Um, and Jackie Robinson was sort of a, a spokesman and a leader of that movement. And Nixon sort of used him as a really as a mascot almost. You hate to use the word, but like sort of trotted him out whenever those bills were signed and said, look, Jackie Robinson supports it. So it's good for black America and, and, and so on and so forth. Did but, Jackie Robinson write about that in his autobiography or talk about it elsewhere, feeling used by Nixon? Uh, no, because I think all this happened after he'd written his autobiography. Um, but he did uh, about a year or so after the, after the programs were out, uh, had started and people began to see that they were kind of a con that it was uh, the phrase was 40 acres in a Cadillac um, you know just go over there so he began to speak out about how he felt he'd been used and how he felt that these programs weren't really being he still believed in them but he believed that they weren't being effectively deployed and you know and so forth I think you're right that would have made such a better third act to this movie than just seeing the, the Dodgers win the pennant and right. the, the makeup problem could be solved by just casting a great older black yeah. actor to play Jackie casting Robinson. a great older actor and so uh, it but that's a movie that people are scared of because to to take the mask off of this idea that, oh, white people and black people just need to shake hands and get along. Um, it's not really that way. It's far more complicated than that. And the, the moral complexity of looking at that up close would, is not something you could show at the White House. Yeah. I mean, do you think this is, is this, is there anything to reverse this trend, the help trend of white filmmakers making these kind of, I find, self-congratulatory films about race relations i don't know not on the hollywood scale because i think did you see red tails last year oh no i asked you that you haven't seen red tails yet no i haven't seen red tails yet i mean red tails has its problems i liked it better than this movie and i just i I feel like maybe just because it has a black director it just it feels more like it's a portrait of of a community it's also over idealized it's also glossy you know it's, it's it takes a lot of narrative shortcuts but it doesn't have that side of like let's feel good about ourselves right right no i think it's it's definitely um, it's it's not true that only black filmmakers can make good movies about race because white filmmakers, in theory, could. Uh, but I don't know that they do um, because either they don't have the vocabulary to do it or they can't get the financing uh, to really make something interesting and serious. I and mean, by the time something goes through all the hoops it has to go to to get funded, right? Maybe it's been sanitized and bowdlerized of right. any any content it had that was at all controversial. Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder uh, with 42, was this something where there was a good script and it got sanitized or did Helglund fundamentally not get what he was writing about and he just wrote this ham-fisted, you know, cartoon. Because I don't want to end on a negative note, I want us each to say one thing that we liked about the movie. So I'll go first. I liked the moment when Harrison Ford as Branch Rickey comes into the, not even the the dugout, what would you call it, like into this sort of stairwell Mm -hmm. where Jackie Robinson has just been breaking a bat against the wall because he's so furious at the epithets that are being screamed at him by the, uh, the Phillies manager, right? And, uh, and they have this kind of moment that's all filmed not with close-up, with like a long shot, the two of them kind of silhouetted. And mm-hmm. uh, and then at the end, Harrison Ford just kind of puts his arm around him and sort of hugs him. And it's an unusually intimate hug for a movie about sports guys. He just basically sort of puts his head on his shoulder and leans there for a moment. I thought that was an actual moment of real drama. And I was touched by it, and I thought both actors were, were terrific. No, I think that was a good moment. My one, 
I think it became a good moment at the beginning uh, after he smashed the bat on the wall. So and the, smashing, no, the smashing the bat was too too much of the movie temper tantrum. It, that was mo- But then after he smashed the bat and sort of collapsed on the floor, I don't know if you noticed this, but like because it was backlit from the sun outside this underground stairwell coming from the, the dugout in the field, it w- there was just this white glow around Jackie Robinson, and I thought, wow, that's a bit much. Um, what did I like about the movie? Well, Chris Maloney, you liked that. I liked Chris Maloney. Um... I thought there was something interesting. I don't know if this was intentional, uh, but the town in which, uh, when Jackie Robinson is in spring training um, and he's staying at a, a, a local black uh, businessman's house uh, uh, because he can't stay at a hotel, and some white cracker comes by and you know starts to say, "Yeah, boy, better get out of town." You know that scene um, actually took place in Sanford, Florida, which, if I'm not mistaken, is where the Trayvon Martin murder happened. I don't know if that was intentional. Uh, or if it's just a historical accident, but I thought that was interesting. A little bit of subtext. Right, um, the history of racism in Sanford, I'm yeah, sure it goes deep. Yeah, um, so I don't know. Yeah, I really can't recommend seeing this movie. Um, I think Maloney gave a good scene that you can watch on YouTube at some point. Um, but if you really want to know anything about more about Jackie Robinson, I, I would read his biography. Yeah, I actually learned more by researching a couple things about him online and hearing your stories about later in his life than from anything in the movie. If I had gone in, as I pretty much did, not knowing much about him or baseball at all, I mean, all right. I will get from it is he was a noble guy who integrated baseball. Right. No, and it's true. And like uh, I said, as we're walking out of the movie, whenever racism is discussed, you'll notice it's interesting. Black people are always the object of the sentence and never the subject. They are never the one taking action. They are the one t- action is being taken upon. Um, and that's the other thing about how integration was implemented in, in America. You know, when busing was forced on schools, it wasn't, oh, let's give young black children equal opportunity. It was how many black children do we need to put in this cafeteria to make the lawsuit go away? Um, so, the you know, the principal actor even there is the white school making, you know, making the problem go away. And, you know, it's said many times throughout the movie, you know, Branch Rickey says to him, like, oh, you're medicine for baseball. Or, you know, uh, when Branch Rickey talks about his motivation for doing this, he talks about how when he was coming up, there was a black catcher on this, like, regional team he played for. And he got kicked off the team because they were purging and sanitizing the sport and making it uh, segregated and that he should have fought up for him and uh, or sort of stood up for him. And that, you know, bringing Jackie Robinson to the Dodgers was sort of his penance. And, and again, it's about Branch Rickey. And, that was a funny and, scene, too, because it was like Jackie Robinson knew it. He knew because it's movie logic, right? That there has to be one story. Like, what is the one traumatic story from your past that caused you to take this action in the present? I know there has to be one because it's right. that kind of movie. And sure enough, there is yeah, one. Yeah, no. So Jackie Robinson is there to make money for and solve the conscience of Branch Rickey. And I think it would have been a much, much, much more interesting movie if you had – and again, I saw notice this the minute the movie started. It opens on three white guys in an office talking, where do we find a black player? We don't open on Jackie Robinson. It's Jackie Robinson's biopic. We don't open on Jackie Robinson. So, like, immediately you know the lens. You're that, right. I didn't even think about yeah. that. You don't see him until, what, good five, ten minutes into the movie? Good five, ten minutes into the movie. And we, we go through this whole exposition of, you know, baseball needs a black player and then the Dodgers are going to do it. Um, whereas... You know, why didn't we follow 
Jackie Robinson up through UCLA and the Army You're and totally everything right. Else. In fact, the very first time you see Chadwick Boseman's face is in the file that they open up that has a photograph of him, right, as they're going through their files of potential recruits. Right. And so that fits exactly with like what went on with, with school busing. All right, where do we find a black person to serve, you know, fit our needs? Um, and, you know, a lot of black people went on with integration knowing full well that, you know, okay, well, I'm being used here, but I can get something out of it, you know, for myself and, and and my kid and my kid and and my community in the long run, so I'll I'll let myself be used in this way. But you didn't have to frame this story that that way. And if you had gone, if you had followed Jackie's life from before the Dodgers to his later years, you'd have had a real story about a real human being, as opposed to this cartoon that's being uh, deployed to make white people feel better. Okay. Well, now I'm thoroughly depressed. <laughs> Thank you for coming in, Tanner, and please come in next time. And maybe we can talk about a movie that doesn't make us feel horrible about the future of our country. I know. Gatsby. Uh, That's going to make me feel horrible about the future of cinema. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply